This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Saddam. If you get a chance, I'd really appreciate it if you could please review and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps out a lot when we're trying to grow the audience of people that are really interested in what drives them and what drives other people. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with me, please feel free to visit me at CrucialTalks.com and reach out to me via email, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Now, on the Crucial Talks podcast, we have talked about the power of shared experiences and shared identities. We've also talked about the power of relationships, and that's why I am super excited that Tracy Mayer Muska is today's guest, because we have a shared experience of attending the same school, sharing that identity, and getting to know some pretty awesome people that have actually made it into her book, Weathering the Storm, Simple Strategies for Being Peaceful and Prepared. Now, Tracy is an ordained minister and board-certified chaplain. She holds a doctorate in ministry and a bachelor of science degree in marine and environmental sciences. Now, Tracy currently serves as the university chaplain at Westland University and has also served as a chaplain in a psychiatric hospital, a men's prison, a trauma hospital, and hospice. And before that, she served as a commissioned officer in the United States Coast Guard and also worked as a marine scientist in the public sector. Now, all of that alone, that would be enough to make this one of the most interesting episodes we've had and make Tracy one of the most interesting guests we've ever had on the podcast. But I think where we are going to get the most value is her work in resilience. Now, to me, resilience is one of those things we absolutely need as human beings. Nothing in life goes perfectly. In fact, I don't think the absence of difficulty actually leads to happiness. In fact, I think struggle becomes a part of happiness. It becomes a part of becoming who we are. Now, when we move through life, things like pain, fear, and suffering, when we move through those things that happen, we gain wisdom, courage, and strength. And because I'm so interested in how we can improve our own lives and the lives of others, resilience is a topic that I think is really important for all of us. How are you doing today, Tracy? Great, Mike. Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You're so kind. Well, it's really, I've really been looking forward to talking to you about this because I've been reading the book and it's, it's got a lot of great information about resilience. But what I find interesting is that you never considered yourself a resilient person. You started studying resilience and started finding out more about it and doing workshops and things like that. So as we dive into this conversation, Can you tell us how you got interested in this topic of resilience? Sure. So I did, like many people, come through life with several pretty substantial bumps and setbacks. And in hindsight, I realized how ill-prepared I was for those and how poorly, in some respects, I coped with it. As I went through my life, I feel like I I had such amazing sources of support so many encouraging people, a fantastic education that enabled me to put myself in a position where um, I was able to take a few steps back from that and really reflect on it. So first, the re- a reason I wanted to study resilience was because I recognized times that I could have coped 
better, for lack of a better word, I don't like the word better or worse, but the times I could have coped more efficiently in more healthy ways. And also, I now find myself as a college chaplain, and young adults in particular are being given such a hard time about being not resilient enough, their helicopter parents have set them up for failure. You hear all of these things. And I realized, well, college actually is an amazing time to talk about resilience because the students are going through transitions. They're figuring out what's important to them. They're prioritizing relationships. They're discerning their purpose in life. So I said, well, I certainly could use some more knowledge about resilience and my students would benefit. And that's when I decided to make that the source of my uh, research for my doctor of ministry project. Well, and the source of your research was really about resilience, but the book didn't come first, right? You've been doing some things in resilience that the book kind of grew from? Yes, precisely. So um, when I started studying resilience and doing research more intentionally, I used that research to develop a weekend retreat for my college students. And what shocked me is from the beginning to the end of this retreat, the students self-reported a 45% level an increase in their level of self-identified resilience. And it's definitely not because I made them more resilient in a weekend, but just breaking resilience down from something you're born with and not kind of debunking that myth and inviting people to see resilience as a set of characteristics that they could cultivate and that they have the power to grow and work on in the advance of difficulty that made my students feel excited And they also realized that they actually have a lot of gifts and skills already. So they left the weekend feeling that, A, they had gifts and skills existing in their toolbox, and B, the ones that did need some work and growth, those were gifts and skills that they could grow and work on with some mindfulness and intentionality. So that the excitement of my students from that resilience retreat, the several that I ran, made me realize that this material could be helpful to people outside of my small college university context. And um, really all age groups, all demographics, everyone is looking to feel more peaceful and prepared, more confident and more hopeful. And I'm hoping that that's what this book will help people do. Well, this is what I find interesting is the book is not just theory based. It actually, what I love about the book is that it actually came from your experience, not only through the theory behind it, but then using it and the context of how you used it kind of proved its its worth. I mean, you're talking about the fact that you're dealing with college kids just coming out of high school. They're still trying to find their way in the world. They even have this, in my opinion, they almost have this other kind of thing hanging over them because when we grew up, Right? We didn't have all the social media stuff. It wasn't mm. you know, people seeing or thinking about microwaving success or, or people counting on these kind of shallow, uh, more shallow relationships of likes and things like that. And so they're almost, it's almost like these, these younger kids or these, this generation is almost faced with this, this extra layer of difficulty because they're labeled as not being resilient. Yes, and that... It's interesting because my college students have a phenomenal amount of resilience. I have students who have lost parents. I have students dealing with 
physical Ill, um, illness themselves. I am consistently impressed by their resilience. But I think each generation, really each individual has areas of strength and areas that could be cultivated. And this generation, um, say the young, young adults right now, they're, they do have a very strong sense of purpose, perhaps more so even than generations past. But perhaps, like you said, maybe the social connections, they have to be more mindful of having in-person relationships, cultivating relationships with mentors and mentees, um, and, and focusing on that, for instance. So I think each individual and maybe even each generation has certain characteristics that are strong or naturally inherent and the others that we really do need to take some time to be mindful of. Well, and what I really like about everything you said so far is the fact that you're able to take resilience and not just say either you have it or you don't, but you've been able to break it down into a characteristic that we can we can grow with. Now, on this podcast, I talk about people all the time and that we're really we're really programmed the same way we have been for for eons that we are social and that we are storytellers and that we are the most social being on the planet but the thing that makes us different really from other social animals is the fact that we can fabricate or create reality with each other through stories now in the book there are a ton of stories in here and really where they came from were from your own classmates. Now, why were these stories such an important part of this book? So that is a great question. And when I am asked what characteristic do I think is the most important, I think they're all important. But the but people is a huge, um, is hugely important characteristic resilience. And but by people, I mean, like you said, Connections with individuals, connections with communities, mentors, mentees, and role models, all of the above. My relationships with my classmates at the Coast Guard Academy helped me survive so many things. And in doing the research, it all made sense. It really did. And having senior officers to look up to, all of the ways in which our relationships help us endure manifested themselves in my experience at the Coast Guard Academy and beyond. And what happened was I was doing this research on resilience and thinking about these amazing people in my life. And I interestingly saw a post on social media. And the post by was, uh, was by a friend of mine who was commemorating the anniversary of the stillbirth of her child. And she did it in such a beautiful and meaningful way. It was so touching and it was so brave and it was so full of honesty and transparency and that at that moment, I said, these are the stories that need to be told, these stories of vulnerability, the stories of honesty and transparency. And that's when I decided to invite um, these classmates of mine to contribute to the book by sharing their stories. And as I thought about people in my life, these women in particular really epitomized these different seven characteristics that I highlight in the book. So it lended itself so well to the format of the book, but also just being able to celebrate how amazing these people are. Well, and I find this a really interesting point because throughout life, we, I mean, we're constantly learning from when we're little kids to entering a school like the Coast Guard Academy to getting a doctorate to getting a new job. But the, the concept of role models, of really building a prototype of behavior, I think is really important because 
I know that people are really driven by emotions. And when we make a decision, the same part of your brain that makes a decision is lights up. Uh, it's the same part of your brain where trust and love and feelings and things like that also exist. But what I find interesting is that as we, as we transform through life, as we determine who we're going to be, we use these prototypes or these models of behavior to decide what we're going to be, act on that. And then those positive feelings kind of come after that. So it's almost like a way that we can chart our own course as opposed to letting the feelings dictate how we act. And then that dictates how we, how, or who we become. It's almost like we, we flip that around. So the, this concept of having role models in these stories, I think are really important because we get to see these types of characteristics or the, the seven characteristics you talk about for resilience. We get to see those almost in real life. I'm so happy to hear you say that because that's what I was hoping people would experience. And yes, I could have looked at amazingly resilient people like John McCain, for instance, but I felt like I actually do mention him in the book, but I love that the examples that I specifically spend the most time highlighting are just real people. They're just everyday people. They are not the most extraordinary people in the whole planet. They're everyday people that I personally came across. And that's what I hope people will recognize is that these resilient people, these people that can serve as role models for us, these people that we can support and they can support us, they are among us. Um, they are our neighbors. They're our family members. They are our, there's so much strength, even in the small circles we might exist in, that we may not even realize exist. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the people and the stories that you use, they are really from all walks of life, different education backgrounds, now different careers. They may have started at the same school, but, but what they do now is branched off. But these seven characteristics you talk about of being part of resilience, it doesn't seem to matter if you're a Navy SEAL or if you're a psychologist or if you work at a local retail store it really seems like these notions of resilience can apply to everyone. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, sometimes I feel like the people who in, encounter the most struggle sometimes self-identify as not resilient, but meanwhile, they have endured so much and are perhaps more resilient and have these characteristics more fully developed because they have been through so much. And what I thought was so interesting is these women that I interviewed were so humble about their achievements and about what they overcame, about the healthiness of their perspectives on life, about their hope. They were just so humble and were surprised that I thought they were um, worthy of putting in this book, when, but really they were spectacular people. And as I said, these spectacular people are listening to this podcast potentially right now. There are spectacular people all around us, and we ourselves are those spectacular people. And sometimes I think with my students, for instance, I don't think they gave themselves enough credit. Um, and so what I'm excited about resilience is this idea that it is not something you're born with. It is a set of characteristics that we can cultivate. Some of us already have many of these characteristics pretty well in hand, the ones we don't that's not bad news because we can simply work on them. And actually working on these characteristics is, can be incredibly fun. 
Well, and so we're talking about the characteristics. Now I know, and I, I can already see the people listening to this in their car or at their lunch break or whatever. And they're like, look, you guys keep talking about these seven characteristics. So can we go into quickly what they are? And then we can kind of move into what, which one of those or which few of those you think are the most important characteristics that people might be able to, to start working on. Sure. So I will go through them. The first is people, and that is having social connections with individuals, communities, role models, mentors, and mentees. And it's consistent that people who have strong social connections um, tend to manage difficulty in more healthy ways and more successfully. The second is positivity. Many people are being getting tired of hearing all the talk about positive psychology, but the fact is how we view our circumstances is incredibly important. If we are certain something is going to undermine us or get us down or make us fail, chances are those that will happen. So practicing positive thinking, practicing um, optimism and hope is actually a learned skill. And the more we practice it, the more it becomes second nature. The third is one of my favorite, pliability. That's having um, flexibility in how we think about things and how we experience things. Unwanted and unexpected change almost always accompanies hardship or trauma. So being able to live into that change, being able to recognize that change is an enormously important piece of being resilient. The fourth is problem solving. This sounds Again, like something you're either good at or not good at, but that is not true. We can work on our problem-solving skills by mindfully identifying the problems that are facing us and identifying our goals and being very strategic about what we're going to do. The fifth is purpose. Sometimes our purpose may stem from the hardship or trauma, and sometimes our purpose might pre-exist that hardship or trauma. But having a sense of um, meaning and purpose has helped many, many people endure hardship and trauma. Um, the sixth is piety. And I'd hate that word, but it begins with P and I was, I was on a roll, but piety is really spiritual and or religious practices, communities, and beliefs. And I like to use, I used that example of the soccer coach who was stuck in the cave with his soccer players and he practiced meditation with those soccer players. That was a spiritual practice that he had in his toolbox. And when he found himself in what must've been one of the most terrifying circumstances I could imagine, he accessed that, that gift, that skill that he had been cultivating. So having spiritual and or religious practices, beliefs, or communities is important. And finally, perseverance. You obviously can't, um, a big part of getting through a difficulty or a trauma is literally getting through it. So that involves um, physical wellness and mental wellness. Um, and so taking care of ourselves physically and taking care of our own um, mental health, being on top of those sorts of issues is the final characteristic, if you would. And as, as you look at these, you're like, oh, yeah, I can work on these. And this sounds kind of fun. For instance, my friend calls and asks me to go out to coffee. I say yes, and I consider it a piece of homework because I'm actually cultivating my resilience by nurturing that relationship. So all of these things are so attainable and so important. And like a fire drill, we don't want to wait until a fire happens to figure out how to get out of the house. We practice these things in advance. So if that coach in that cave had said, wow, maybe now would be a good time to learn how to meditate, 
it would not be the best time to learn how to meditate. So doing these things in advance help us prepare. And that's, that's really, so even if someone is, feels like they're in a good place, I think this book could be useful because unexpected and unwanted things inevitably will come our way. No, all of these are really awesome. I mean, people positively, positivity, pliability, problem solving, purpose, piety, perseverance. I mean, all of these things are great. You could add an eighth uh, practice for if you want to stick with the P thing. But um, I love all of these things. I love what you said about the fact that you don't wait for the fire drill. You got to practice. And that's what I really find interesting and, and what I hope people can get from this, that a lot of these things people look at, they look at maybe a prototype of somebody they see on TV, of a documentary or whatever, and they're like, I could never do that. But the reality is we can do that if we do, in fact, practice some of these things. So if we're talking about practicing and people want to start moving down this road of trying to become more resilient, which one of those sevens would you I guess, would you advise them to start on? Which ones do you think are the most important or, or have some of the best outcomes when people start working on them? Um, so as you can see, I get really excited about all seven of them. And I love that you said practice. My daughter interestingly said, well, why isn't patience on that list? And I said, that should definitely be on the list. So I think each of us might identify additional characteristics that I omitted that are relevant for them or maybe for many others as well. Um, one that I'm really excited about is positivity. And the more research I'm doing about gratitude, positive thinking, positive psychology, um, it really does transform how we experience circumstances. And I do remember a time where I said, wow, this is bad. It could not get worse. And then it, considered, it continued to get considerably worse. And I said, wow, I remember in the moment saying, I will never say that again because things can always be worse. And for me, now it's not something I'm going to go tell someone that I'm counseling, hey, this could be worse. But it is something that I internally tell myself often. Sometimes I'll even reflect on, well, this isn't what I was expecting, but I'm grateful for X, Y, and Z. Or you know, this door has closed, perhaps another one will open. And I do invite my students, there's a fantastic Buddhist tale that is called the farmer's luck. And it basically tells the story of a farmer where things happen to him and the community seems to think, oh, that's good. And it turns out to be bad or, oh, that's bad. And it turns out to be good. And that is often what happens in our lives. We don't have a long, um, the long-term view of things that happened. So I'm really struggling myself to just live each moment with an open spirit that even when things happen that I'm not happy about, that maybe something good will unfold as a result of that. Um, I don't want to minimize suffering because absolutely there are some things that happen in our lives that are just bad and there's nothing to make them good. Nothing could make them worthwhile. But I try in my own spiritual practice to really have a spirit of openness and try to focus on um, whatever I can give gratitude for in the moment. Well, I think that's really, I think that's really powerful because I've said before, hey, I could be standing right next to you. We could be looking at the exact same thing, but experience it 180 degrees different just based on, on that alone. So what we want to really kind of talk about is 
this notion that positivity can change the way we see what we're dealing with. Now, if we do that, if we throw a little gratitude in there, if we look at things a little more positively, what does that actually do for resilience when we're trying to change the lens we're looking through? Such a good question. Um, Interestingly, there was one scientific study where people assessed their circumstances and then they were invited to look at the circumstances of others that were, that were actually worse off. This sounds like a terrible study in some ways. but And then when they assessed their circumstances again afterwards, they actually looked at their circumstances more positively. So, the, so interestingly, this really, really does have a proven effect on, our, on how we perceive things. But if we're dealing with a situation that's difficult and we're saying to ourselves, oh, I definitely, I definitely can't handle this. There's no way I'm going to get through this. This problem is intractable. There is no possible solution. Um, It significantly reduces our chances of finding a solution to that problem. Um, And what is interesting to me is this is something consistently I'm reading that when we practice gratitude, when we practice uh, positive self-affirmations, when we volunteer, these are things that help us look at life more realistically, less, you know, we say in college a lot, students sometimes catastrophize. We use that word. And I like that word because that may be our inclination to catastrophize, but we're just inviting people to look at their circumstances um, objectively and even with a spirit of hope. And that really, really does impact the energy with which we approach the problem and also will impact the outcome. Well, and so this is really cool because we've talked about the, the notion of positivity, of putting on this different lens so that you get to control kind of how you experience something. I mean, it's, it really, it takes us, in my opinion, by doing something like that, by showing gratitude or having positive self-affirmations, even when something bad happens, it seems to give us some control. So rather than saying, oh, woe is me, this bad thing is happening to me, it seems like by changing that lens, you now feel like, even though the situation itself hasn't changed much, you now feel like you have more control. Yes. And I love Thich Nhat Hanh has said, he's a Buddhist monk, and he talks about whatever it is that we nourish, the seed that we nourish in our brains will be the one that grows and develops. So if we nourish the seed of negativity that will grow and flourish. If we nourish the seed of positivity, that will grow and flourish. And even when we look at our past circumstances or our present circumstances, when I look at my past, I can focus on all the difficult negative things. Or I could say, wow, I was able to go on board the Coast Guard Bark Eagle and sail across the Atlantic Ocean and see amazing sunsets and challenge myself and I can look, I can only focus on the positive and then it does reinvent some of our past experiences in terms of how we remember them. It's not being in denial about the difficulties we might've experienced. It's just choosing not to make them the focus of our attention. Yeah, that's pretty interesting bringing up the eagle because it definitely <laughs> has, it looks cool from afar and it definitely has <laughs> its, uh, its positives. <laughs> But it's got some of its negatives too, and if we if we focus on the the micro level of you know scullery or sail evolutions or the first week where everybody is sick, 
It's a different <laughs> outlook than, hey, it was really cool to be 140 feet up in the air and be able to see the ocean all around you or how it sounded at night when people are on watch and everybody else is asleep and how quiet it is, but still hearing the ocean and seeing the stars in their glory and all of that stuff. It really does change that, that experience and changing that experience seems to be a way that people can deal with hardship. Yes. Yes. And practicing it with occasions of our past practicing it with things that are happening in our life right now and practicing it with how we look at the future in terms of worry. Um, those are all ways of just letting go of that negative as much as we can. Obviously it's, it's not a hundred percent, but letting go of some of that negative energy and allowing those positive feelings to really help motivate us. Well, and so, you know, when we deal with those experiences, I know for a fact that if you put me by myself in the middle of the North Atlantic sailing a boat, um, that would be way different than being able to share that experience with other people. There are things I know for a fact I've done in my past that I never would have been able to do without other people. So I see it in the book. I hear it in what you're saying. The first thing we talked about of the, of the seven Ps is people, but how mm. important is it? to have these strong connections to other people when we're talking about resilience. I know we're social beings and I know we need people, but really how important have, have, is that? Have you seen that to be with even dealing with the college kids and, and the research you've done in the book? How important are those connections? Yes. And that is, I think, one, one if not the most important characteristic of resilience. And the good news is it's one of the most fun ones to cultivate. Um, so having those strong social connections, some of us might feel naturally introverted. And often when we get busy, the first thing to go by the wayside is having coffee with a friend or going out for mom's night out or meeting up with some friends to watch a football game. Those are the things that will often be eliminated first. So then as things become more difficult, those connections are more fragile and not as strong. So I am very excited about um, the prospect of encouraging people to cultivate those connections. Now, besides the connections to individuals, we also have connections to communities. There's some amazing communities out there, whether I'm, I'm a member now of an adult um, 30 and over field hockey team. And trust me, I'm not a good field hockey player, but it is so fun to just laugh and to just get out of my everyday routine with this community of amazing women. There are uh, faith communities, spiritually com spiritual communities. There are communities at um, self-help communities, communities of people in recovery, Communities are hugely important. And then the, the third aspect of that is the mentors and mentees. Having a mentor is incredibly important to help us discern uh, um, directions to go, to help us make good choices, and also to inspire us because we see that that person has walked the journey we're on. But we underestimate sometimes the value of being a mentor ourselves and having mentees. And I know as a college chaplain, I have interns working for me periodically. And when I do, I find that my, I perform better. I try harder. I want to be a good role model to that person. I want to inspire and teach that person. So
So being a mentor is also an important part of resilience. And again, as you mentioned, role models, they don't need to be perfect. But um, I think often of a woman, um, if can I tell a quick story? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I, when I worked in hospice, I was at the bedside of a woman from the Jewish tradition and she was nearing the end of her life and saw at the foot of the bed, her grandmother. And that is something we hear quite often people seeing loved ones. In this case, it was unusual because the patient really didn't have a good relationship with her grandmother. Her grandmother was very intimidating and not warm and not kind. So the um, the woman asked, why would this vision be happening to me? Why would I be seeing this person? And the more we talked about it, she realized her grandmother was visually impaired and raised 10 children and was one of the strongest people she had ever known. And she found so much comfort realizing that it was her grandmother uh, really reminding her of her own strength, the strength of her ancestors, the strength she had within her. And my patient had so such an increased sense of peace after that. So the role models don't need to be perfect. They don't, they don't need to be um, spectacular in some, in every respect, but there are people out there that we can look to that can inspire us to be our best selves and to discover in us what can help us get through something difficult. Well, I love that, that we're talking not only about looking for a role model to, to kind of emulate or to find the behaviors that will allow us to self-transform or transcend to a, to a different role that we might want to play, but to really acknowledge that we, at the same time, could be a role model or a mentor to somebody else and really considering what legacy we want to leave behind for others. I love how you put that and how that could really impact our own resilience. Yes, yes. And it, it's so many of these characteristics are tied together, aren't they? Because being a mentor also contributes to our sense of purpose. And when we know there's people that are depending upon us, it helps us get through, whether that be our children, whether that be our neighbors, um, an aging parent, when it's an employee, when we have people depending on us, it helps us say, hey, I need to pull it together. I need to be able to get through to tomorrow because people need me. I have I need to be available. And um, it does help us to dig deeper. Well, yeah, I love that also because it really, I had this discussion with somebody not too long ago about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the, you know, how the top of the, of his pyramid or his triangle is really about, is really about the social aspect of life. But one thing that I think Maslow came up with later in his career was that beyond the, the top of that hierarchy was really, a, a sense of self-transcendence, where it's more than just self-actualization. It goes beyond that into doing things for other people. So I love how you just said that a lot of these things tie together and that not only does acting as a mentor help you personally, but it also is a part of having purpose. And it goes back to that, that notion that people really do great things, not only when they're doing them for, them, for themselves, but really when they're doing them for other people. Absolutely. The purpose consistently comes up as a really critical um, means of getting through anything difficult because we, when we are able to 
identify and cultivate our sense of purpose. We are able to recognize that the hardship is, um, you know, it feels like the hardship is setting us back, but we know we need to get through it. We know there's a greater reason to to consistently wake up each day and do our best to make it through. So um, the purpose is huge. And I have done a lot of work with um, gun violence prevention and seeing the activists and how dedicated they are to um, preventing gun violence and to help make people safer. And that sense of purpose, sometimes coming from direct personal experience of loss and trauma, um, that has been an inspiration to me to see how they get through each day because they want to protect other people. And that's a, a fairly dramatic example. But even in our own daily lives, our sense of purpose could be not so newsworthy, if you would, but it could is really our sense of purpose could be to um, help our students make it to the summer. It could be to get through one day without drugs or alcohol. It could be whatever our sense of purpose is. It could be a short-term thing. It could be a long-term thing, Um, but it does help us see the big picture. It helps us look beyond the moment. Well, and so far, all this stuff has been so great, but I know we've got to wrap up this episode. And we've talked about the importance of community and how people and being together is so important. We've talked about purpose. And really what I love about what you just said was the fact that we can recognize, or and I think we should recognize, that hardships are going to come. And it's not the avoidance of those hardships that allow us to grow, but it really is going through through those hardships. And when we come out on the other side, that's when, when we grow. I think that's all valuable stuff. I know a lot of people out there are thinking the same thing. So if they want more information, if they want to get a hold of you, they want to find out more, more about the book, where can they go to contact you or to get more information? So my, um, I have a link to the book, the publisher, um, the book is available on Amazon. It's also available through the publisher. And there are links to that at my website, Mayor Muska, which is Amazon Mike, E-H-R-M-U-S-K-A dot WordPress dot com. Well, I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. I'll also put a link to uh, the publisher's website and the Amazon link for the book. Because like I said, I'm going through it. It's got a ton of great information. And I really love the the stories, not because, not only because we know the same people and it's just amazing to read their stories, but it really is impactful uh, on how we really think in our own heads and how we can build this resilience in ourselves. So I really wanted to thank you for coming on. This has been a a great conversation. I think a lot of people are going to get some benefit out of this conversation and your book. I'm so, so thankful that you had me on today. And I'm so grateful for the important your work the important work you're doing about having conversations about connecting with other people and about discovering our inner strength and our gifts and how that can help change the world. I think you're amazing. And I'm so thankful. Well, thanks a lot. That's a great place for us to leave off. So everybody out there, if you have a chance, I'd love for you to visit me at crucialtalks.com and feel free to connect with me. If you need anything, I'm available on email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever works for you. Also, please review and rate the podcast. I would greatly appreciate it because this helps people find these great interviews just like the one we have with Tracy. So have a great week and remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.
please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit CrucialTalks.com.